Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm here with Aaron Keller. I'm your host, Ashley Sanchez. And today we have Wildlife Diversity Staff Specialist Joe Barnes here. In other words, you're everything non-game, but what I always come running to you about is eagles and birds, all things birds. I feel like I come running to you or emailing you, whatever it may be, because you're kind of our specialist on that sort of thing for non-game uh, terrestrial species uh, i don't deal with aquatics um but yeah the the job overall covers everything from snakes to bats and eagles and everything in between but my personal um kind of strong point and background is has, has been birds and raptors for probably about the last 20 years so um, i do a lot of work with with eagles and and other various raptor species yep and if you follow us on social media i know we've posted a ton of videos of you up in nests, <laughs> um, sampling birds, rescue. We've had you on rescues, so lots of cool bird work. Yeah, uh, pretty cool job. Yeah, you really, really do. <laughs> it's not always that glamor- glamorous, um, <laughs> yeah. but certain times of year when it's you know nesting season, then mm-hmm. you get a, a couple months opportunity for some good field work, and uh, the rest of the year it's a lot of um, paperwork and administrative duties. But yeah, yeah. yeah. well, uh, thanks for coming yeah. in out of the field to come <laughs> we join appreciate us today. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, based on our social media, it would look like you were always um, rappelling down a cliff or something. <laughs> but you're here in headquarters, so that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought you'd be the perfect person to have on this week since American Eagle Day is June 20th, Sunday, which many of you will be listening to this podcast on the radio today, um, June 20th. So this day is a special day to commemorate the anniversary of the bald eagle's selection as our national symbol and to celebrate its return to American skies. So like I said, you're the perfect person to bring on. And we thought we'd talk all things eagles with you, not just bald eagles. So do you think it would be best to start off by just explaining what type of eagles we even have here in Nevada? Because I don't even know if people know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and certainly when people think about eagles, it, bald eagle comes to mind. It's our national symbol, um, easily recognizable with a big white head and white tail. Um, however, here in Nevada, um, golden eagles uh, kind of predominate. And that's largely based on our available habitat and which habitat the different species gravitate toward. So with bald eagles, we do have uh, you know a small handful, um, literally that we know of probably seven or eight breeding territories across the entire state of bald eagles. Um, Overall, they've done an amazing job recovering after the DDT uh, population crash back in the, in the mid to late 1900s. But based on limited habitat, um, Nevada doesn't really harbor a lot of breeding pairs. We do have a handful in various places of the state um, and we do um, keep tabs on those on those bald eagles. We go out every year. We uh, a colleague of mine um, does a lot of work as far as annual monitoring, making sure, seeing which territories are back, which are being occupied, um, and how well they do breeding. Uh, you know, do they are they doing well as far as successfully um, raising young and having those young you know, get out of the nest and fledge essentially. Um, 
And so um, we keep tabs on the bald eagles, but again, it's, it's a small percentage of what we have in the state. The other species, which is must, much less well-known, is the golden eagle. And the reason why they're not known nearly, nearly so well is that they're reclusive. Um, they thrive and do well in arid areas, uh, you know, desert scapes or out open sagebrush, um, usually nesting in hills or you know, like uh, cliffs up in, in foothills and whatnot. Um, and they don't congregate around water sources, so you don't often see very many of them at the same time. And so they're really less well-known than the bald eagle. But um, for reference point, the estimate is that we have probably around 1,000 to 1,500 breeding pairs of golden eagles in the state compared to, say, eight um, bald eagles. Um, but again, and, and with the golden eagles, because, you know, the nature of, the, you know, what they um, require uh, as far as nesting and, you know, successfully breeding, that's really where we kind of put our resources. Um, so when you think about, um, you know, what what makes them tick in the state, um, that's what we've, we've done a lot of work as far as um, looking at population estimates, population size. We look at annual territory occupancy. Um, we've been looking at their annual success, breeding success, um, things like um, annual survival. How long does a typical eagle live? And, you know, and, and of those young that are produced every year, how long do they, you know, how many years do, does it take for them to go on and become part of the breeding population? So it's, it's a lot of stuff. Um, I personally do a lot of work as far as prey, like basically estimating their diet, put in nest cameras and look at what the, the adults bring back to the nestlings. Um, and there we can quantify, you know, what are they focusing on other birds? Are they focusing on small mammals or in some cases deer fawn and pronghorn fawn? And so they, they eat a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, um, I think I kind of covered your question, but basically you did and we yeah. love it. <laughs> you covered it for sure. That's pretty cool though. So you take the, you have nest cam set up and that's how you're seeing that. Yeah. So, um, because there are so many golden eagles across mm -hmm. the state, um, what we've done, we kind of, we knew we didn't have the resources to try to cover blanket, you know, um, what's going on with eagles across Nevada. It's just too big and too daunting of a, of an effort. And so what we've done is we've got uh, a couple focal study areas where it's usually surrounded, like the, the foothills surrounding a valley or two. Um, most of my work is in eastern Nevada, um, which is a little problematic running back and forth from Reno. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so we have these focal areas where in, um, where we can really bear down and look at how well the eagles are doing there and then attempt to extrapolate that across the rest of the breeding population. And so in these focal areas, it's not that not as if I'm throwing nest cameras and eagle nests all over the place yeah um, no <laughs> but in these tightly focused areas any any given year um it's usually up to say four nests so it's not a ton um but they're cliff nesters so it requires getting out there it's pretty technical climbing you got to rappel down and and place these these cameras in there and basically they're um, remotely activated by motion and so when the adults come in they dutifully bring food back to the nestlings and feed them then you can see different things like provisioning rates, you know, how many food drop-offs do they do per day? Um, how does that change as the eagles get closer to leaving the nest and things like that? So, um, yeah, again, any given year, usually only about four nest cameras, um, but 
this has been going on for I think um, five or six years and so the data really starts adding up um, giving you a much clearer picture and and one that we had not really we just had you know general ideas about what eagles ate in the you know prior to you know the more recent study efforts but now we have a whole lot better view of what's going on what is help knowing this information um like what they eat what does that help you guys understand and do overall like why is that beneficial to have all that information well, you know, Endow is a management agency of, of, of Nevada's wildlife. And so um, part of, uh, you know, trying to manage uh, healthy populations of wildlife, whether it's a mule deer or a golden eagle, is knowing what resources those species rely on. Um, so in the case of golden eagles, um, knowing what they're preying on and what basically the, you know, the linchpins of their success, um, mm -hmm. having us more fully aware of that is going to then help us ensure that they have healthy populations into the future. Um, and so that's one of the, one of the uh, elements of it. There are a couple other things to really think about there as well, because it also plays into with various raptor species or, or predators in general, you are what you eat, that, mm -hmm. that theory. Um, and, and so like literally that can contribute to things like contaminants, um, whether it's mercury or lead or whatever, you know, what you eat, if that's already contaminated, then that could potentially cause problems down the line as far as the food chain. So in addition to just knowing what they're relying on for food, how might that for, you know, impact their um, health going into the future? These are long lived birds. Golden eagles can live and balds, but both of them can live easily 20 to 30 years in the wild. And so when you think about uh, contaminants, that can magnify over the years. Um, another thing that's actually a big topic here recently over the last two years is the rabbit uh, hemorrhagic virus. Oh, yes. And that's new on the landscape, never been detected in Nevada until last year. And here we have, uh, in the case of golden eagles, a species that literally 75% of their diet is relying on jackrabbits. Um, and others, 10 to 15% is on other rabbits, uh, cottontails for the most part. And then that final, you know, 10 or 15%, that's everything else. Anything from a, a raven, you know, they eat ravens, red-tailed hawks. Uh, uh, these are some of the more novel items. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, great horned owls, but also I've did, pulled up um, uh, pronghorn fawns. That's what you mule said. Deer that's fawns. crazy. That yeah. shows how big they are, Yeah, too. as you were talking about the, the cameras, I was going to ask you if there's anybody you know th seen anything that's been like out of the ordinary oh uh, yeah there's crazy. there's some neat stuff yeah um snakes too um you know bring in gopher snakes or striped whip snakes um even songbirds you would think something that's just so small it wouldn't even be worth their effort but you know i've picked up pinion jays um um little songbirds sparrows and you think i mean for them it's the equivalent of a uh, tootsie roll or something but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um lizards you know you see them bring in lizards occasionally um trying to think foxes there was a you know i think it's about four years ago for some reason they just focused on kit foxes oh and really i've never seen them since and i hadn't seen it prior to that but just a handful of and it was various nests it wasn't even just one nest that was focusing on foxes it was the year of the fox yeah so it doesn't necessarily not the location in nevada or geography it could be anywhere then mm -hmm. they just key in on whatever's there and yep yeah exactly so and and, and but that's also a good point too or a good thing to consider um oh and before i get back to that but just to follow up on that rabbit hemorrhagic virus issue that's an emerging disease 
that now you got to think about eagles and that's a potential one we can use eagles for like a surveillance tool to find out where the virus is on the landscape since they're all across the state wow, we can go in and sample um, the eagles themselves usually in the form of the nestlings we can swab their bills and their feet see if there's any re residual virus but we could also check the prey remains of jackrabbits and cottontails and see if they've got any of the virus um, but yeah the um, the point you made about um, anywhere in the state and you know like kind of gives you an image of what's going on regardless of where their specific home is the interesting note is one of the some of the research I've done is involved satellite transmitters so we put transmitters on adults and on nestlings and various age classes and we see where they go throughout the year and what we found is that adults they're very fixed in space they have a nest and they typically 12 months a year they don't migrate um, they basically they're about they spend 95 percent of their time or more within like say three and a half to four miles of that nest 12 months a year so when you think about food and and some of the and contaminants and and disease it's all like their points of contact are all within like a three and a half to four mile radius so that helps you kind of really figure out what's going on with these eagles in Humboldt County or Lincoln County or wherever. Um, the juveniles now, it takes them about five years before they're mature and able to successfully breed on their own and hold their own territory. Those juve juveniles are highly migratory, not, not really migratory, they're just more like wanderers. And so that's the, when you think about diet and you think about what they're experiencing and how they're using habitat, you got to think about age class because um, those young birds i've got birds that i've been tracking that are up up in canada um you know and typically that's more late summer and then in the winter i've seen them down in baja uh in mexico um those are and and everywhere in between um, most of them do spend mo the majority of their time in nevada just bouncing from valley to valley and mountain mm -hmm. range to mountain range but some of them go all over the place um you know, you've got them in arizona and and you know montana and mm -hmm. places like that Oh yeah. my gosh, you are so full of information and we already have to throw it to break, but we will be right back here with Joe. You are listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking eagles with Joe Barnes in celebration of American Eagle Day on Sunday. And you are such a great guest that Aaron and I, you guys didn't hear it during the break. We're battling it out. Who would be the first to get to ask a question? Yeah, we're, tr we're, <laughs> yeah. we're treating Joe like our Wikipedia. We're so interested. We're like just asking him all sorts of questions yeah. about eagles. And so I'm throwing it back to you now. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll start it off. Yeah. So. During the, before we started recording, I was asking Joe, like, how many eagles, we were just chatting about how many eagles we had in Nevada, or how you estimate that, and he said that there was eight, because I said I I had seen bald eagles around in certain places, and he said, well, that it's hard to say, because there's eight breeding, we think there's eight breeding pairs-ish in Nevada, and I was like, well, that seems like very few, compared to, I've that means I've seen like half of them, 
but then it's kind of funny the way that a breeding pair and a juvenile so you were just i think i thought that was really interesting and people don't hear yeah and that's a good thing to think about um there's different times a year which heavily influence that um you could be out in a wintering month like uh, january february and if you're in the right place in the state you could see 20 to 30 bald eagles and you're thinking like yeah but wait a minute i heard there was just you know eight breeding pairs well, that's because Nevada is a pretty big and important state during those wintering months for bald eagles migrating out of other states. So most of our resident birds tend to stay fairly local, but we do have birds coming, eagles, bald eagles coming down from states like Washington, Montana, Idaho. They'll come down and spend wintering months anywhere from like three to five months of the year in places like Lakes Mead and Mojave down south. Um, they'll be up in like the Lahontan Valley area up here in, in more northern Nevada. Um, uh, in certain areas, they focus on agricultural um, areas on like calving grounds, places where they can find food, which, you know, for us, it might still be fairly cold temperatures, but they're mild compared to say Montana or Canada or Alaska. And so, um, in the wintering months, we could have multiple hundreds of bald eagles across the state, um, but the vast majority of those are non-resident. You know, they're they're migrators, and so that's one of those things that a lot of people end up seeing bald eagles, and that's one of those that burns its way into your head. Like you see a bald eagle, and you're happy, and you see that big white head, and you're like, hey, that's great, and they must be you know breeding here, but you just got to kind of keep in mind the time of year whether it or not it's a likely breeder or a likely uh, transient, um, you know, a migrant. And then another thing to think about is the, the difference is just like I think I mentioned with the golden eagles. Um, once you're a territory holding adult, you, um, you know, depending on what state you're at or what, your, what habitat you breed in, you may or may not stick to your territory year round. Um, largely ours tend to, um, but in other states, adults will move around but one age class that always does tend to move around is those young birds so they're usually not sexually mature until their fourth or fifth year and so from year one to year four or five you're 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 kind of like a teenager you're a sub-adult juvenile and you're wandering the landscape so you kind of go to where there's food but you're not tied to any specific location you don't have a nest to defend you're just out on the landscape. So you could be out fishing in one of the local reservoirs and you see a bald eagle and it doesn't necessarily mean it's nesting there. Um, even if you're there at the right time of year, you know, you're say April, May, June, you think, oh yeah, there could be b nesting and there might be, but it also could just be one of these sub-adults, um, you know, kind of, or one, two, three sub-adults. And um, bald eagles aren't nearly as solitary as golden. So you do have the opportunity sometimes to see multiple. A bunch. <laughs> mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, you said burning burning that into your mind when you see a bald eagle. And I, my son was like, oh, look at that bald eagle. And I wasn't looking that way. I said, oh, no way. And I looked up, and it was a bald eagle. And he That's talks cool. about it all the time. And mm -hmm. But then when we're out hiking, we've seen golden eagles. And they're so much bigger that now he's golden eagles are his favorite. He's like, <laughs> so anytime we see a golden, he says, oh, I like golden eagles better than bald eagles. But so uh, are which makes eagles Joe, makes Joe happy, you know? Yeah, you can tell he, he's a true Nevadan. I like that. Um, the goldens do tend to be a little bigger. There's definitely overlap though, like a really big bald. And there's also ch differences by gender. Mm -hmm. So females of both species are always um, larger um, than males. 
And, and actually that goes for raptors in general. So we think of, we're dialed in, we're all mammals mm. and it's, it's basically reverse size, uh, sexual size dimorphism. So with raptors, it's the opposite from what you see in mammals. Mammals, it's usually the male is the big one, um, you know, relative to female size, regardless of your species, if you're a black bear or if you're an elk or whatever. With raptors, it's the other way around. The ladies are the big ones, and they get hmm. to boss the, the men around. Nice. Um, Good yeah. for them. <laughs> <laughs> so when you see, like, it, regardless, so it, golden eagles can be a bit larger, a little bit. It, there's definitely overlap um, with balds. But if you were, say you saw a large female golden next to a small male bald, the size difference is going to be much greater. And you're, right. it's really, you're going to say, oh, wow, that's, that's um, quite a difference. Um, one thing like trapping adults um, of either species, one thing that's notable is when you get bald, bald eagles tend to be a little less wary. Um, and so they'll get down on your trap um, with less coaxing, I guess, you know, a little bit quicker. And I've seen instances where I've got through, well, some of this work was in other states in northern Arizona. I did some work um, prior to starting at Endow. And I remember one time in particular, I had four um, bald eagles. This is in the middle of the winter, um, snow everywhere. And what I had used was some carrion. So I had mm -hmm. a, a mule deer that had been hit on the road um, to basically bait them in, in during these cold months. Um, I had four bald eagles feeding on this um, uh, mule deer. And I, of course, didn't want them i wanted a golden wanted eagle golden i needed eagle. to get a transmitter out <laughs> and so funny. i had to wait two or three days i believe it's a tough tough chore trapping trapping eagles um and so i get four bald eagles down one golden shows up and it's immediately like you see it's it's like discovery channel or something you'd see on animal planet in like the serengeti when the lion walks in and everybody else scatters those balds scattered within, you know, seconds or, you know, I think there was one that tried to hold its own for about a minute and then it was out of there. And basically that the golden eagle, it was king of the heap, king of the hill. And wow. it's just like, this is mine. And they just were out. So it's pretty interesting to watch I, those dynamics. I hmm. think that after listening to this, a lot of people are going to be like your son now and just be really excited to see. I mean, they'll be excited to see either eagle, but now people are going to be searching for golden eagles. They're very cool. They're a lot more, yeah, for sure, and more elusive, if that's even the word. But they're more shy, than, weary, yeah, mm -hmm. weary than. And a lot of eagles. people don't know that eagles are scavengers. That they'll. Well, and to an extent, because um, yeah. that that can go both ways. I sometimes I hear disparaging marks along those lines of like, oh yeah, yeah not to like put them down, mm -hmm. but you know they will eat carrion and they do. And what you you do see bald eagles rely on carrion a little bit more than goldens. Um, another thing that I that you see with goldens too, though, is that it's largely the subadults that are going for carrion. Um, when it's truly in the dead of winter and everything's frozen and it's hard to find live prey, then it's all, all bets are off. You yeah, know, survival. Gonna, yeah, so you'll get adults, you know. But um, more often than not, with goldens, it's the younger age classes, which, in, you know, when you start thinking about um, health of individuals and population health, that's an interesting thing, too. So we do have an issue, especially in central and northern Nevada, with sometimes eagles, golden eagles, usually getting hit on a road, uh, you know, right. it would be on like US 50 or, um, you know, an I-80. And so, and the reason you think like, how's a roadkill of, of an eagle? That's crazy. Well, it's because, you know, it's usually in the middle of the winter and it's usually in the case of Goldens, it's usually younger, less experienced individuals 
they're down on, on roadkill deer or elk or whatever they see on the side of the road and they just want a quick meal and then they're not really accounting for cars speeding by at mm-hmm. 65 miles an hour. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of something to think about. Like, yes, they'll, they'll, they'll do some scavenging, but it's not without some risk. You got to think of mm-hmm. the uh, yeah. interesting note, if you'll uh, oblige me. Oh, go for it. The very first um, golden eagle that I ever trapped on my own, uh, you know, this was probably 10, 15, well, 15 years ago. Um, it was an adult female. She ended up two years later getting hit on the railroad tracks. She was oh. actually mm-hmm. scavenging a, a, a dead elk. And got hit by a train, and you think this is just ridiculous. Why you don't you don't really think of eagles getting hit by yeah. it? But you know they didn't really evolve with moving you know trains mm-hmm. and cars and things like that. So that's true. Hmm. Very interesting. You keep talking about trapping eagles. Could you explain a little bit about what that that work is and what information you explained earlier? The nest cameras. What information do you get out of trapping, or how does that work? So trapping is really um, just, you know, kind of primarily in my purposes for two goals. One is to get birds banded. Mm-hmm. Once you have a band on, then you can individually, you can recognize that individual in the future. And so if it ever um, popped up, you know, even 20 years from now, there's a standardized database across the country, across the continent, actually. So um, it's good to really get an idea of population health, how long these birds live, where they might travel. That's um, how you were able to track that. The first golden eagle you ever captured, you said, yeah. hit by the train. Yeah. Well, and so in that case, then that was getting more refined data than I put on a satellite transmitter in that particular case. Uh, okay. So a band, that's that's just kind of a inert thing that you stick on the leg that you kind of almost need to see the animal up close to get it, to get like the number identified positively to figure out which bird it is. But with modern technology now, we can put on these satellite transmitters that are basically taking GPS points hourly. Um, you can change that, those settings a little bit, but basically hourly movement patterns. And so then you can travel instead of the transmitters will last up to, say, three to five years. And now you get individual movements. And you can see what they're doing throughout the year. So in, the, in that case, the elk, you know, the, the railroad and elk situation. Right, right, Got yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel like the more that you come on the podcast, the more recruiting we're going to have for diversity biologists. I know. You and Mark we had yeah, sometime during Mark the Anders, pandemic. Yeah. I want to say it was, I don't know, it might have been in the fall or re- not too long ago, but both of you guys are just full of information. Yeah, we talked all about Lake Tahoe, wildlife. Yeah, I'm actually depressed because I just looked over at the timer and we're already running out of time. But any last few words you want people i mean i could have sat here all day listening <laughs> so yeah. any well, last few notes you want to get in there i would say real quick one of the just like a take home for some of the data i've pulled pulled in here recently um is that population health of goldens um relative to what's going on with this ongoing drought you know people see in the media and then and well you mm-hmm. see it when you go out on a local reservoir the water levels are down every the landscape's dry there's not much growing out in the open spaces anymore um, you know, as far as annual plant growth. Um, and so that trickles down to eagles. You think like, oh, eagles, king of the hill, apex predator, you know, nothing really scares them, nothing hurts them. But things like this drought and also prey cycles, um, since they do rely so heavily on rabbits, um, jackrabbits in particular, they have these natural multi-year uh, cycles, ups and downs. Um, and so it's it's variable, but say every five to seven years you're going to have a, a, a drop in, in pop and rabbit populations and they kind of rebound 
but you superimpose that on the current drought and now you've got those you know those population crashes of their primary prey those have been lasting a lot longer so my primary study area i've for the past four years i've seen just an absolutely practically non-existent jackrabbit population the first year or two you're dealing with eagles that can survive up to you know 30 years and so the adults that are making do they're still on their territories 12 months a year but what we're seeing is that now um, they're not breeding like they used to. And mm-hmm. so you've got, instead of having 80 or 90% annual breeding success, now it's down to last year was 14% hmm. actually were able to f- successfully fledge at least one nestling. This year we're looking just as bad. And so not only are the birds, the eagles that do lay eggs, not only are they failing, and usually it's it's not always pleasant because a lot of times that means the young are starving. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so not only are you having that type of, you know, I don't want it to sound doom and gloom, but, you know, it's a, it's a stressor on the population. Right. But you also have eagles are one of those individual like species that will just decide to skip breeding. And mm. so that's like a strategy that the males and females, prim- primarily females, just, whether it's conscious that they're thinking about it or well, whether it's related to body score and body condition, if physiologically they're not up to par, they just won't produce eggs that year. And so now with this, you know, now that we're into this long drought, um, more than 50% of the eagles that I'm seeing out there just are completely skipping even Hmm. laying eggs. Um, And so if you keep that up for too many years in a row, you really start to have like population impacts. Hopefully we get, get out of this drought. It's terrible. Impacts all wildlife. So, well, thank you. I mean, you gave a good example of all the work you're doing to try and protect these species. So it was great to have you on. American Eagle Day, everyone, is June 20th. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.